I don't think I need to say anything today. That was, that was good. I think you could have preached last week's message too. Um, awesome. And, and by the way, like that, that echoes so well what, what we did get to talk about last week uh, from Nehemiah. And so if you weren't here last Sunday, um, we, we did talk about prayer. And we talked about just the confession that prayer is confusing. You know, it is because we think about like, you know, God has everything under his purvey and his control. And so what does prayer do? So if you weren't here and didn't get to listen to that, we would love it if you would go back and do that. It was good for me to say. It was good for me to hear. And I even went back and listened to it because to be honest, like there are so many weeks you can, you can blame it however you want that I get through it. I'm like, I don't know where that came from. And so sometimes I listen to it and I'm like, man, that was not me at all because I'm not nearly um, that intelligent. So anyway, uh, a lot of stuff's going on right now with Origins. Before we jump into uh, today, um, man, we like to give out hourglasses every now and then. This kind of is, you know, indicative of who we are. Like we want to look at what God's poured into us and then pour it into someone else. And, you know, that's kind of the flipping over idea of the hourglass. We had a lot going on this week. On Friday, we had our first ever charity golf tournament. Crazy. Never thought that we would be a church that would do anything like that, especially giving away a turkey fryer as a part of the first prize, uh, which I still think is, is super us and that kind of thing. Um, but man, uh, my wife did a ton, and she's not done. Um, and this is, this is awkward for me to, <laughs> to give one of these to her, but she single-handedly almost planned that entire thing. And then uh, there was a photo shoot yesterday that the Bonners contributed so greatly and kindly, and she was there the whole time uh, just kind of coordinating all of that. The mission trip would not happen without her. She has single-handedly taken this on, and part of that's because of her gifting. Part of it's because she's awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm done. Just come on up. I mean, I'm like, come on up. I'm, I can't say much more. Um, and so, like, giving this, you're not done, come here, come here, come here, yeah, so in anticipation too of everything that's going to go on once we leave in about, in about two weeks uh, for Guatemala, she has, she's been that person to coordinate all of that, and I haven't had to do any of it, praise the Lord, because there would be so many things I would forget, uh, I am not a detail-driven person, um, and so we would probably get there and not have any food, any place to stay, any water, but she's taking care of, of all of that, and um, she hasn't complained once about doing everything that she does already which is a ton, plus all of that. And uh, so, man, if you see her, thank her for doing all of that. Thank you. You rock. Like Van Halen with a great guitar solo and heavy snare. Really good. And that's rocking hard. All right, so we, uh, we have two weeks left, this week and next week. Well, not next week, the week after in uh, this vintage series that we've been in. Um, last week, we talked about this guy named Nehemiah, who was not a prophet, he became a governor. Uh, we will see part of that today, but he was just, he was a slave in Persia, and he was a cupbearer, so that meant he was like a, you know, more than a sommelier, we talked about that, like he was a guy that, um, man, the king trusted to make sure that nothing entered his wine that should not be there, and he also trusted him, bring him good stuff, and, and he was just a Jewish guy who had risen up through the ranks to be about as highly ranked as you could be a, as a slave. And so uh, we saw that there was an issue that came about because the exile was over. God was bringing people out of exile back to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was just in a mess. Um, the temple had been destroyed. The walls had been destroyed. The gates had been burned. Uh, previous to this, um, Esther 
had already gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, and now God was calling Nehemiah, just a man, uh, to go back rebuild the walls because nobody could live there. You know, it was the center of religious life, but it was also the center of their home uh, in Judah and in Israel, but nobody could live there because it was dangerous. And so God was calling him to go. And so what we saw last week was that Nehemiah saw that it was a big deal. He was broken over it, uh, but he began to pray. You know, like he began to, to pray. And what a couple takeaways that we saw is that Man, uh, any major work that God is going to do, it's always preceded by prayer, like big prayer, uh, faithful prayer. And we looked at, at what that looked like, and we, we even drew this conclusion that prayer is not us changing God's mind, it's not us changing His purpose or His passions or His plans, but prayer is our ability uh, to know God, be known by God, and then to say, God, I agree with you. Uh, not only do I agree with you, uh, but I am going to echo your heart by asking for what you want and, and I'm going to do stuff to make sure that it happens as well. So I'm going to ask you for what you want. I'm going to be in line with your will, and I'm going to pursue it um, because we know that you want it. And we talked about the work that goes into that. Like, we have to know God's will. We have to ask him what he wants for our life. We have to be in his word and, and you know, just all of those things. And so it kind of demystifies what prayer is. It's God's people saying, God, I agree with you. I agree with you. I want what you want. Uh, I'm going to ask you and beseech you for it now, and I'm going to do it consistently, persistently, um, and I'm going to do it in your name. And so today we get to see in Nehemiah 4, everything that Nehemiah had prayed for, today is kind of the, the active portion of that, like we get to see it start to happen. Um, but there's some realities in that that I want us to look at. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4, and if you'll go ahead and turn there. Um, it'll be on the screen as well, but if you have your Bibles, uh, open that. I would strongly encourage you to, like if you're coming here regularly with us on a Sunday, um, I, I'm just a paper Bible kind of guy. You know, it's just me. Like if you love your phone, that's great, but the one thing I can't do on my phone is I can't readily write things uh, on my phone. I can try, but it takes me so long to do that. Um, maybe I've got fat thumbs. I don't know, but I can't, I can't do that quick enough. I can highlight, but like if, if you're one of these people that it's good for you to bring that, bring that. Open. If you don't have one, I'll buy you one. We'll buy you a Bible like tomorrow. Um, there's some on the table that you can take and you're free. Take those, read those, write in those, uh, make them your own. Uh, let me pray, and we're going to jump into Nehemiah chapter 4. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for, uh, God, we thank you for wanting our hearts to be in sync with yours. We thank you that your plan is, is perfect and the outcome that you have is, is beautiful. God, I pray that you would unite us with you. Um, I pray that we will be able to abandon self enough to say that your way is better, and that's the way that we want. Um, and God, that we will be able to echo that through prayer, and as a family, we would do it. God, I pray for your word today that we would see it for what it is. Um, we would not add to or take away anything, but it would speak because it's yours. Make us more like your son. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So let's start Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's read the first nine verses. It says, Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. And so this is Nehemiah's response. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are held captives. Do not cover their guilt and do not let their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Verse 6, so we built the wall 
and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had in mind to work. Verse 7, but when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come against and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in it. Verse 9, and we prayed to our God to set a guard as protection against them day and night. Man, I think, um, I think there's a lot of common ground we can find with this passage. Granted, we're not rebuilding a city. Uh, that's, that's not what we're doing. But what we have been called to do is to not build the kingdom of origins, but to build the kingdom of God. And I, I think if we, if we understand that the, the building of the kingdom of God is a major work of God, we need to bathe it in prayer beforehand, the part that God's called us to do, and, and we need to echo his heart with that, that we want to see men, women, and children have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel, to see God add to his kingdom by, fa- by faith, which comes through hearing the very word of God. We have to understand it's a big undertaking. And we have to understand, too, just like uh, Nehemiah was praying for God to do something great, we should do that. But I think we need to be honest, and we also need to say this, that if we are doing something, a big undertaking of God, just like Nehemiah, we're going, the first thing we need to see as common ground is we're going to see opposition. It's going to happen. Um, and it's going to happen in a couple different ways, but it, it's going to happen. Uh, they were in the midst of doing something that God had already said, yes, I want you to do that. They said, we agree, we're going to pray for it, we're going to ask for it, we're going to go about doing it. Remember the conversation that Nehemiah had with the king, Anaxerxes, he said, uh, can you grant me leave? I'd like to go. He's like, how long? He's like, uh, 12 years. And he was like, sure, go. And he's like, oh, uh, by the way, when I leave, could you give me letters to grant me safe passage so that I can get through and maybe an army to go with me? And he did. And he said, oh yeah, all those trees that you have, could I have those too? And he's like, sure, go. And so he had already began this undertaking, asked God to do it. God had provided a way. He gets there, and guess what? It's not smooth sailing. It's not smooth sailing. Like, he gets there, and they start building the wall, and then you have this guy named Sanballat. Don't name your son that. You have another one, Tobiah. We could shorten that to Toby. It would be okay. But either way, these two guys, they had been profiting off the fall of the wall and the broken down nature of the gates, and they had probably even tossed some of those stones out there, burnt the gates themselves, and they're like, what are they doing? Not going to work. Not going to work. What are they thinking? Not going to happen. If a little fox crawls on what they do, so right in the very beginning, they're mocking them. They're like, these, these few feeble Jews, they, they can't do this. It's not going to happen. And then they found out that it was happening, and they're like, no, 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 not going to happen. We're going to make sure that it doesn't happen. They get to the major work of God that God was planning to restore the walls in the city of Jerusalem to bring God's people back together safely so that they could have a place, so that God could do so many things going out from this city. They get there, and people want to stop them. I think the reality of following God and doing the things that he asks, uh, it's a beautiful reality. But in the truthful nature of just full disclosure, there will be people that don't want us to do it. There will, there will be people that we're going to encounter that don't want us to do it. Um, and, and we have two options in that place. And we already talked about this a couple weeks ago. We can adopt a, an us versus them mentality. Like, they're against us, so we're going to be against them. And I'll go ahead and tell you, that's the wrong mentality uh, because we are here for them. Even the rebuilding of the walls, to a degree, uh, was for the benefit of Sanballat and Tobiah because God's people being restored so that they could worship again. It was good for all of creation. It was a good thing. God had plans to go from this city and to do certain things. So it was even good for their opposition. So we can't adopt the us versus them mentality. But here's the second option that we can do. Um, we can begin to think biblically and process this idea um, like Ephesians 6 tells us. I'm going to flip over. It's not going to be on the screen. 
But Ephesians 6 lets us know this. It says, uh, finally, be strong in the Lord uh, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand uh, in the evil day and having done all well to stand firm. We need to adopt a mentality to understand that if we are doing something that God desires us to do, he has a, a portion or a plan for that and Satan will not want us to do it. And because of that, he will bring in people, he will bring in forces, he will bring in doubt, he'll bring in whatever he can to try and stop us. Even though it feels like we are being opposed by people, in reality, man, we're being opposed by Satan. We don't like to talk about it, it makes us uncomfortable, we're like, man, that's a little spooky to imagine that there really is a devil, there is, and he's real, and he does not want God's plan to go forward. He doesn't have privy information to everything that God's going to do, but he can see what's happening, and he doesn't want it to happen. He doesn't want it to happen. And so when we see a work of God, when we're entreated to be in a work of God, when we we say, yes, God, I agree, I want to do that, we go after it, once we get in that, we're going to face opposition. It's going to happen. I guarantee if I asked, if we just did a little poll and we said, uh, Go back and think about a time in which you took a huge step of faith that God was asking you to do. I guarantee you could say probably the next day I felt like I was under attack. I've heard two stories in the family in the past couple of weeks. You know, right after baptism um, and declaring that, yes, Jesus is my Lord. I want to follow him. Some of us have even said, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm just confused. I don't know what's going on. There's a battle in me. Satan doesn't want you to, to affirm that you follow Jesus. I, I even remember with Caleb. Like, Caleb, clear declaration, Jesus is my Lord got baptized. The very next week, he was just miserable. I watched Satan come after my son. Doesn't want us. Doesn't want us in the plans of God. Doesn't, and it will do anything to stop us. We will face opposition. It will be there. Sometimes, maybe even religiously so, um, and maybe that's wrong, sometimes I feel like if we're not facing opposition, maybe we're doing something wrong. And I'm not saying that that's a litmus test for everything, because I think sometimes God's going to make the way very straight, and he's going to protect us, and he's going to put hedges around us and just let us go head down and soldier on. But I think there are a lot of times that, man, when these things are coming at us, it's a clear indication that maybe we are on the right path. We are doing what's right. I'm not saying it's our only litmus test, but it's, I think it's one of them. So yes, God, we want to do what you want to do. We're going to pray for it. We're going to work for it. We get there and there's opposition. Don't let opposition discourage you. As a matter of fact, I think we can let it encourage us a little bit. Yes, it's coming after us. First thing is that there will be opposition, but notice what happens twice in the midst of their opposition. The first time, uh, they, uh, after everything's going on, um, they stop, and in the midst of it, they say, hear, O our God. They do it once, and again, after Sanballat and Tobiah, they, they do something else. In verse 9, it says, and we prayed to our God. Man, prayer is what got them here. So remember, like, even though we already get to the place where God desires us to be, the big work that God desires us to be in, remember prayer got us there, and it needs to keep us there. 
Like, just because we're, we're there doing what God wants us, don't, don't stop praying. Like, remember, Nehemiah last week, it says that I prayed day and night. I fasted for days on end and prayed for days on end. God, I will seek you in the morning, I will seek you in the night, and I will continue to pray for like four months. Remember that to get there? I promise. And we already see it here that when Nehemiah got there, in the midst of the plan, the great big work that God had for him, he didn't stop praying. He didn't stop. We continually even have to say, even after saying, God, I agree with you with what you want, once we get there, say, God, I agree why I'm here. I agree with you why I'm here. I agree with what you're doing in the now, and I'm going to continue to pray. Protect us. When we feel these things coming after us, be it internal, be it external, whatever it is, instead of adopting an us versus them mentality, we need to stop and we need to say, God, I understand what's going on right now. I understand where the opposition is coming from. And so in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, please stop it. Just, just stop it. Place protection around us. In this particular passage, it says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. So we prayed to God. God, what do we do? Apparently, God led them, said, you need to put up guards and sentries around. Pray to God for protection. God doesn't desire that the, the plan stops. He doesn't desire that the great big work stops. So, of course, uh, we're once again agreeing with God. God, allow us to continue. Protect us. Doesn't mean that the opposition is going to stop. Because it didn't, we can read the rest of this book and we can know that it didn't stop, uh, but God will protect, he will provide. It's his desire. So we continue on. And so uh, Sanballat and Tobiah, they, des- they desired to, to break things up and to stop things. And in then verse 10 it says, In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At the same time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. Man, I think this is the craziest part. The opposition will come in very obvious ways. It will come in direct contradiction to the truth that we've already heard about God. It will tell us lies. It will come in the, oppos- in the form of people that are clearly against us. But I think very often this is the one that's even more tricky. It will come in the form of well-meaning friends and family. You wouldn't believe how many people you talk to who have decided to give their lives to Jesus in direct contradiction to their family's wishes, and the family says things like, hey, good for you, um, but we know this is just a phase. We know this is it's just a phase. It's just something you're going through, and, and we support it, but it's, it's just a phase. Well-meaning, apparently well-meaning friends and family will often be our biggest discouragement. And I'm not telling you to disown your family. I'm not. But at some point, we have to be able to differentiate between truth and lie. Like God's desires versus man's desires. Even God's desires versus my desires very often. And again, that comes through prayer. Hey, God, show me what's real and what's not. Man, imagine the devastation. I don't, maybe you have experienced it. I, I bet at least a couple people in here have. You've decided to follow Jesus. You've decided to give your life to him, to go you know, headlong into this after God. And some of your friends and family say, what are you, what are you doing? people you've known for your entire life that you love. And they just say, what are you doing? You know that's not real. It's going to wear off. Truth versus lie. What do we listen to? And then again, it's tempting to make the us versus versus them mentality occur again and say, well, you must be against me, so I'm I'm running from you. That's not our, our answer either. They're still friends, they're still family, and they still have the same need for Jesus that we did, and we do daily. And so again, even 
the rebuilding of the wall was good for Sanballat and Tobiah, the same way in which the redemption of me is good for my friends and family who are against me. Well-meaning friends and family. And another thing in this passage, I think we have to admit too, that just because we get to the place where God's desired, it's desired us to be, there will be opposition, but there's going to be difficulty too, just in the labor. They looked at it and they said this in verse 10, it says, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. They're like, there's not enough of us and there's too much rock. <laughs> More rock than people and, and we're just, we're worn out. I think some days it's okay just to cry out to God and say, you know what, God, I'm tired. I am tired. Remember, the same prayers that got us there are the prayers that are going to keep us there. God hasn't changed his mind. He still wants his plan to go forward. And, and in that day, I think we just say, God, I'm worn out. I need help. I need help. And, and, and he, even in that place, remember like the humility that, is, uh, that goes before our confession of sin and the humility that's bred as a result of our confession of sin that we talked about last week? In this same place, we have to be at a place of humility to say, God, you know what? I can't do this by myself. I'm not capable. I can't. And I think sometimes he brings us to that place, even in the midst of his plan, even in the midst of his progress, till we get to the end of ourselves and say, God, I'm not, I'm not able. I need you. And he's like, well, yeah, you do. Thank you for agreeing. It's amazing how that works. Thank you for agreeing. It says, at the time, the Jews who lived near us came to us from all directions, and they said to us, ten times you must return to us. Verse 13, so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. I think in the midst of us, in the midst of all of this, we have to remember that the Lord who sent us is also the Lord who is with us. The Lord who sent us is the same Lord that's with us now. He wouldn't send us in and then pull back. You know, that's not God's way. As a matter of fact, he's already gone before us. Scripture can attest to that, that he's already been there. He's prepared the way. He's still there. He hasn't left. And in this particular place, he's right here. Uh, Nehemiah is telling his people, he's like, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He's like the Lord who called us to this, the Lord who equipped us for this. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's still here. We have no reason to be afraid. The latter parts of Philippians chapter 1, it's this beautiful, uh, this beautiful text that Paul's writing to the people at Philippi, and he's encouraging them. He's like, hey, uh, behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Not just of the gospels, of, not just of, of citizens of Greece and citizens of Rome, but as citizens of, of heaven. Behave in a manner like that. And he says, understand this, uh, the same grace that has granted you belief to salvation is the same grace that's granting you the ability now to suffer and the right to suffer. And he says, there's no reason for you to be afraid. Grace brought you salvation. Grace is bringing you suffering in the name of Jesus. And so don't be afraid. And he even goes on to say, and by, by showing that you don't have any fear, guess what? Your adversaries, they're going to see Jesus. In this particular place, the lack of fear that Nehemiah was entreating into the people, he's like, remember the God that sent us is the God that's with us now. He says, hey, guess what? And you're our opposition, they're going to see it and they're going to see our God. We're going to see proof of that in just a couple of verses. Even the opposition, even the opposition, the things that they get to see in us, again, it's good for them. They're, they're opposing us to our face, 
they're doing that. We can't do an us versus them kind of a deal. We have to remember it's us for them. But even in the, the opposition uh, and our lack of fear about what they're doing because we're remembering that the God who sent us is still the God that's with us, man, they will and can see Jesus. And it's crazy. Continuing on a little bit further, I love, I love what happens here. I'm going to reread verse 14, though. It says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the officials, to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Remember your family. Verse 15, it says, When our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail, and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those, listen, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand, a trowel, and held a weapon in the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side, while he built. Uh, the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. He said, from that day on, man, almost everybody, they were building and they were defending at the same time. Building and defending at the same time. This is huge. Huge. Any major work that God is going to do, it must be preceded by prayer. But any major work that God is going to carry out, it must be carried out by a family. It's always a family. Just like we say a lot that God didn't come, God didn't send Jesus to redeem a person. He sent Jesus to redeem a people. The same thing is true. God's not intending to use a person to accomplish His plan. He wants to use a people. A people, a family. And you look at this particular passage and it's like, yes, the work resumes, but it wasn't because Nehemiah was the one and only doing it. No, it was that everybody here that was trying to build, they all were doing something. They were all doing something vitally important. As a matter of fact, some of them were even doing more than one thing at a time. They were building and they were defending. They had a trial and a sword. So they're like, yeah, I'm going to slap some spackle here or some whatever the stuff I can't, my brain's not working that you put between bricks. Mortar. Yeah, mortar. I'm going to smear some mortar here, but I'm also going to be ready when someone comes to attack my family. I'm going to stop them. And guess what? One of those two things, or even both, probably weren't even their gifts. They may have been terrible with a trowel. They may have been horrible with a sword. But you know what? There was a need there, so they said, it doesn't matter what I'm good at. I'm going to do it anyway. The beautiful times that we get to serve God is when we're exercising our giftedness, and that's great. But guess what? Sometimes that's not the possibility. Sometimes we have to function outside of our giftedness, and we may screw up. That brick wall may be crooked. Somebody may have to come back by and tear it down later and fix it. It's happened. I've done things real bad. I can never cut the same board twice twice the same. I can't do it. I don't know why. I guess, I don't know. I didn't have shop class in high school. But man, it takes a family. We get to see uh, later in, in Corinthians when Paul's talking to the people at Corinth about their spiritual gifts. He's reminding them that there's, a, there's one body, but it has many members. One body, many parts. And the body couldn't go forward without both feet, both arms, both eyes, both ears, the one mouth, the one heart, both lungs. It, it takes all the parts to make it happen. It doesn't say there's one body and one member. It says one body, the church, many members, many people who make it up. God intends for his plan to be accomplished through a family. Through a family. I don't, I don't know where we are currently. Like, I don't know where every one of you are. I, I know a lot of your stories, and I know what you're dealing with right now. Um, but I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't know everybody's. But um, 
I truly believe, though, that if we've been united with God through Jesus, by grace through faith, we've abandoned our sin in favor of Jesus, he has something he wants to do with us. He has something he wants to do with us. I'm not taking scripture out of context for saying, I know I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, all that kind of stuff. I'm not taking it out of context. I'm saying this, that God's not going to redeem someone just to not use them. He's redeeming all of us. He's redeeming us so that he can do something with us. And so we need to start by saying, God, what is that? What do I need to do? How can I agree with you? How can I work towards doing that? And once I'm there, God, uh, I'm not going to stop any of those other things that I've already done. I'm still going to continue to ask you to be with me. I'm still going to ask you to protect me. I'm still going to ask you to guide me. And when things get hard, I'm going to beg more. No matter what the opposition says, who they are, where it's coming from, God, I still want what you want. And God who's doing it with me? Or who am I doing it with? Flip over a couple pages. Uh, chapter 6, verse 15. And it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived, hear me, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help, help of our God. Mm. When we say, God, I agree with what you want me to do. I want what you want. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to seek it. I'm going to work at it with family. When it gets done, the world gets to see God. The world gets to see God. And God can either use that to point out their need for him, or he's going to use it in some other way. But the world gets to see God. And it says, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. God doesn't redeem us and not intend to use us greatly. Like every one of us, like if he has drawn us to himself, if he has pointed out our sin and pointed out the better side that he is over ourselves, he doesn't intend for us just to sit still and not do anything. No, no, no. He has a plan, a big plan. And that plan culminates in his glory, growth of the kingdom, growth of the family, all of that. That's his plan. And we just have to say, God, what is it? Okay, I agree with that. I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to seek it. And I'm going to trust you in the midst of everything else. What can I do? Who can I do it with? How do we get there? It's not saying it's not going to be hard. It's not saying that there's not going to be loss. It's not saying that there's not going to be pain. But at the end of it, God's purpose, God's plan, and people will see him. Are they doing Christmas music right now? That's interesting. Sorry, I just, I'm totally distracted by our kids singing Christmas music. That's great. But. So let me, let me ask you a couple questions. When was the last time you thanked God that he has a purpose for you? Maybe that's the first part. Even before you even know what the purpose is, just say, God, thank you that you want to do something with me. Because I think people are wandering around every single day, lacking purpose, lacking plan, thinking, you know what, there's nothing here for me. God declares otherwise. He says, I want to redeem you and I want to use you. I've got big plans for you. His plans may not be the prosperity that we think that we want. They might not even be the prosperity that we think we understand. But his good is still good no matter what we think about it. God, thank you for having a purpose and a plan for me. And then after you thank him for that, 
maybe say, God, what is it? What do you want me to do? And then when he reveals that through time in his word, through time with his people, through time just sitting still and listening, say, God, you know what? I want that too. I want that too. And began to pray for it, began to seek him night and day, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, and then bring people in and say, this is what I feel like God's leading me to do. I want to tell you about it. Would you pray with me? Would you go with me? Would you do it with me? Maybe that's what God has for them. And then, after he said, this is what I want, you don't have to think he's going to change his mind. Just go for it. This isn't, help. This isn't self-help stuff. No, no, no. This is God in his plan for those that he's called according to his will and according to his purpose. He desires to do something with us. Once he's told us what that is, just go. We don't have to wait for another sign. We don't have to wait for another response. We don't have to say, well, you know, you've told me what you want, but God, I think I'm going to pray and fast for another 30 days. No, no, no. He's already told you. He's not going to change his mind. Just go. Does it mean that you stop praying? Absolutely not. But he's already given you your marching orders. Now just march. Let's go. I got a guy that I train, um, still, still work in a gym. And uh, before every workout, he just sends me a text. He's like, let's go. <laughs> I love it. Just two words. Steve Carter, if you're listening to this text, man, I love those. I love, if you're listening to this message, I love those texts. Because, you know, he's just saying, hey, we know what we're going to do today. Let's just go in there and do it. Same thing for us when God calls us to go. Just let's go. Let's go. I think a lot of us are afraid to ask the question, though. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to go with? Because there's some uncomfortable places in this world. There's some uncomfortable places in our city. There's some uncomfortable places in our homes and in our neighborhoods. Doesn't mean God doesn't want us to go there. God, what do you want from me? I agree. Let's go. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of a guy who was just a slave, high-ranking slave, but a slave nonetheless. You called him, and he said, God, I agree, and I'm going to pray for it because I agree. And when the opposition comes, I'm going to pray more. When friends and family come, I'm going to pray more. And God, when you complete your work because we were obedient, People are going to see you. God, thank you for the example. God, I pray in us as a people, as a family seeking you, I pray that we would want to know your purpose. We would thank you for your purpose. And God, when you reveal it, we'll just go and we'll do. We'll go and we'll do. For your glory, for your kingdom, not ours. God, I thank you for those in our midst that are already doing it. I thank you for Sarah's story today and the way that you're working on her. And I know the ways that you're working on others too. I thank you for that. I pray you continue to do more, God, because we know that you want to see the city come to know you. We know that you want our neighbors to hear and have a chance to respond to the gospel. We know that you want our children to hear and have a chance to respond to the gospel. So, God, I pray that we would agree with you and we would just go and do and speak and be in those places and in those spaces for your glory and your kingdom. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your provision. And, God, thank you for purpose. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.